I like to think that nothing is impossible if we try hard enough and we do the research. Today we're talking to James Slater, UK Director R&D at Piratos. Piratos is a forefront player in innovation and James has extensive experience in machine learning. He will share his best knowledge with us today. In the Quality Leaders podcast, I discuss challenges and innovation in quality assurance in manufacturing. What keeps the industry experts awake at night? Where's innovation? What are the technologies behind it? And what role does artificial intelligence play in all this? All right. Good morning, James. Hello. Good, good morning, Maxim. Good morning. Hey. So everybody listening in, today's guest is James Slater, the UK R&D director at Piratos who has a great personal passion and professional focus on the bakery industry. Now, James was also the chairman of ABIM, the Association of Bakery Ingredients Manufacturers, representing 11 UK companies of about 500 million pound turnover and 3,000 employees. So that's quite a reference about Piratos. Piratos is an international group headquartered in Belgium, supplying over at least 100 countries worldwide. Innovation as such is hard-coded in their identity, and this makes James our perfect podcast guest. Good morning, James. Good morning, Maxime, and thank you very much for inviting me. Glad to have you. Looking at your profile, your resume, you've been in the food industry your whole career, your whole life. What made you choose this direction? Yeah, originally it was a bit of an accident, actually. When I was at school, I wasn't a very good student. I did my A-levels in the UK, which is the equivalent of a baccalaureate. And then I needed to get a job because I was just around the house and my mum wanted to get me outside of the house. So I happened to live in a small village in the UK where Unilever Foods had a huge food research centre. There was about 1,100 people working on food research in ice cream, tea, frozen foods at that point. Um, so I'd done a little bit of chemistry and biology. So I sent them my CV and said, hey, I need a job. Have you got any jobs? And they happened to have a role covering some maternity leave working in the sensory science team. So my first introduction to kind of food science and the food industry was then a couple of years working in the sensory science team and I fell into it and loved it from there. Sounds a little bit like fate to me. Huh? If you ask yeah, me. it might be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah and the helping hand of my mum at the time. Oh, yeah. Hey. Thank you, mum. Eh? Yeah. So are you also a foodie yourself? Yeah, definitely. I really love food. I like to <laughs> explore foods. And through my work in Unilever, actually, I met my wife, who was also a tea taster. So my wife has a very fine palate and she likes to explore new things. She lived in Asia for a while, so she's interested in all kinds of food. So we like to explore yeah, new foods together and have food experiences. Sounds like destiny to me. <laughs> yeah, it could be again. Yeah. You never know what fate's got in store for you. Yeah, that's true. So about manufacturing companies, right? There's a lot of investment and going on about machine learning. Also Piratos for that being. What kind of projects are you or Piratos are currently working on, developing, running? Yeah, we've got quite a few projects going on at the moment with a bit of a focus on machine learning in some areas where we think that can really help for the AI sites. One that we've done locally in the UK is some work on how to optimize our powder mixing processes. So what part of what Piratos does is to go and work with our customers, understand their technical needs for making bread or cake or chocolate, and then to translate those into blends of ingredients. And then what we have to do in our factories is 
combine those blends together in very precise quantities so that the exact dosage of each ingredient gets to the customer in the right proportions. So we had a project in Buckingham to really optimize in our factory in Buckingham where we make powders to optimize the blending of those ingredients. And we've got another project that we're just starting at the moment looking at how we optimize so the throughput of allergens. Allergens are a really big food safety concern at the moment and they it's something we have to manage very carefully. So we're looking at if we can use machine learning tools to optimize the way that we have allergens move through our sites, our premises, our factories, and really facilitate their, their use in our ingredients. Yeah, that's indeed something you have to monitor globally, locally, because right? I imagine supplying over hundred countries, you have customers that indeed have the need to have those food the snacks shipped to basically all over the world, each of yeah. those locations. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, in terms of allergen control, specifically in the UK, there's been recent legislation on the use, the control of allergens into the food supply chain. And also the rise of the plant-based diet in the UK and all across Western Europe really has made us think carefully about how we control ingredients that could have food safety concerns, also ethical concerns for people. So in our factory in the UK, for example, we're using dairy derivatives like egg and cream and milk powders because we're making cake mixes. But some people definitely don't want that. We're also making ingredients for people that have a plant-based diet or they want to be vegan. We have to be absolutely sure that we don't let those two things come together. And it's not an easy thing to do. We're in this factory managing over 100 ingredients, making 300 different products. There's a lot of complexity there. Yeah, and I can imagine indeed what in the end is also important is, of course, taking away the risk for allergens, the concerns about, yeah, indeed people who are vegan, they have their own concerns. Yeah. And then the third pillar, which in the end still remains important, is the taste. Yeah, You replace something that, you know, like you make a product, it's great taste. But then, yeah, if you take one critical element away, what happens to the taste? How do you benchmark yeah. that and yeah, is is there any role that machine learning can assist there is there anything that you're seeing in that domain already or is that maybe something impossible like how do you tackle that then that's a good question so i don't i think i like to think that nothing is impossible if we try hard enough and we do the research i believe that there's a role for machine learning in those kinds of applications so when we're talking about product design it's I think half art and half science. You need to have a good understanding of what happens. You need to build up your experience, but also there's a reasonable amount of intuition. And when I see how different people design different products, there's four or five ways always to get to the same end thing. And the challenge is there's huge amounts of variables involved. So I think anything where there's huge amounts of variables and it's a very nuanced thing, it's a great opportunity for machine learning to, to come in and help us do that. We have discussed projects like that in the past, but we've not been able to deploy them effectively, or we've not tried to deploy them effectively so far. And it's mostly because the, let's say, how we measure whether a product meets a consumer's or a customer's needs is still quite subjective today. So it's very hard for us to put objective measures into whether we're going to succeed with a formulation work. So we've done a few little, what we'd call a Friday afternoon experiments, so kind of small projects looking at whether we could formulate for specific textural things in bread for example we can create a model system in bread where we could control most of the variables involved in bread manufacture and then we say okay how do 10 different ingredients influence a specific element of texture so could it be 
softness it might be how fine the crumb is things like that so we're starting to look at experiments like that but as a holistic product design i think we're probably still a little way away from that you mentioned it correctly what people like why they like it there's a lot of subjectivity around it there's a lot of variables in in creating characteristics environmental conditions when you create a product there's a lot that's coming indeed to creating a product in the end and one might like it, the other might hate it. And why yeah. is that? And it will be interesting, in my personal opinion, indeed, to see further further developments of machine learning in the area, mm. which in the end, we might learn, but I can't imagine that's going to be easy. I think that's going to yeah. require a lot of yeah, data. Why people subjectively say I like that or not? Yeah. And even we've had experiences over the last few years working with customers we say well let's say i want to buy a muffin for the food service outlet somebody's going to buy a cup of coffee and they want a chocolate muffin that goes with it and we'll sit down and talk to customers and they say i'd like the muffin to be more chocolatey what does that mean because what i mean by chocolatey might be different to what you mean by chocolatey and we've got all those nuances that we really need to work through and in a product like a baked product where you've got the composition the blends which are important but also how they're manufactured how do we bake it? How do we mix it? How has it been stored? There are so many variables that it's a very tricky thing to do. So I don't think it's impossible, but I think we're still a little way away from doing it effectively. Yeah, indeed, the variables of how it's being stored, for example, something that the consumer is perhaps not aware of. Yeah. If you buy fresh food, what's super critical is the constant temperature it's in and how long you can keep it in your fridge, the shelf life of it is insanely determined by how long it's not refrigerated. So when a truck is delivering it to the warehouse, the time between moving from the truck to maybe a fridge at a warehouse, that time is super crucial and impactful for the time you will be able to keep it. So just to show how something that perhaps insignificant to somebody outside of the industry can have such a impact on the end result on how you experience that and that's only freshness go figure out the other things that you can't maybe see or measure or feel but will taste yeah there's a whole it's it's super exciting because it's a fascinating world that we could get into i think there's probably some work for us to do in an industry in agreeing what we mean by some specific terms and then starting to work out how we measure them or with particular customers potentially i think these areas are probably going to develop where we have a project with a customer and we're able to really get into the detail of what they want from that experience for their consumers. And then we can set up a project where we try to deliver a particular texture or a particular flavor using machine learning to optimize the way that we do that. I think the roadmap there is indeed super interesting. And I think as a company there, okay, of course you have a certain size. So you have a lot of customers, a lot of data, but at the same, of course, you do it for delivering good quality. But do you think there's also a touch of like responsibility? Because I can't imagine a smaller company with less scale, less customers, less budget. Yeah, they feel lost. Like, how do you see that perhaps responsibility of Piratos? Yeah, I think, I think Piratos has always invested in innovation and always we always like to be investing in future technologies so we have quite a long-term perspective on how we invest and how we measure whether that's successful or not so i think it is our responsibility to continue to push things forward it's hard then to find the right balance because 
to work on a project like a machine learning project where we need quite robust measures of how we're going to succeed and we need quite robust data techniques. Sometimes that can be hard for smaller customers or smaller businesses to do that. We try to build partnerships with startups as well because I think being quite a big organization now we've got lots to learn from smaller or agile faster companies so we're trying to build connections with startups with local universities as well to support research and then we regularly try to collaborate with smaller businesses through grant funding that's available as well at a european level and a uk level to do small kind of off-the-wall projects basically where the uk government is interested in pushing a particular technology adoption into industry, which could be high risk for small businesses and big businesses. So the government puts some money together to help to push these projects forward. So we regularly invest time and energy into those projects as well. So you mentioned it, eh? external partners, being a startup, a university, etc. It's obvious, we also talked about it, there's big R&D budgets involved also on your side. Yeah. Why not? buy these companies or do it in-house by external partners then? Yeah, I think partly because Paratus is very focused on what it wants to do. So it has, uh, my feeling is we have very strong skills and experience in, and competencies in certain areas, but there are areas we just know nothing about. So we're still learning really about machine learning. So for us to go and partner with somebody who's an expert, where there's a benefit to them because we can support them through kind of introduction to food sometimes or the different supply chains, different business models. I think it, we found that it works really well. So we could choose to go and invest in these things and recruit machine learning experts and do this ourselves. I think the general feeling is it would probably take us longer to do that than it would be to find somebody who's already great that can help us over doing it wrong. And also to find somebody who is more agile and who's got better experience because we don't always want to just do the things that we've always done. It's great sometimes to learn from different industries and in the networks that we build, they tend to be very food technology orientated, whereas somebody who's working in, I don't know, in aerospace or man, I don't know, car design, they might have something to teach us about manufacturing and business that we wouldn't have learned otherwise. So it's a great opportunity for us to really expand those networks and have conversations which are benefit, beneficial to everybody. Yeah, cross-learning or however it's called. It's the same principle with Formula One, where technology of Formula One is, in the end, ending up in your car. Eh? Yeah, that's exactly, true. Yeah. That sounds like a very smart approach. So maybe let's zoom in a little bit on, on those startups, on the technologies that you're using. With RoboVision, we also have a lot of focus on inline production. Maybe we can zoom in on, on a case that I know you're working on, the powder mix case. Yeah. How did you get to the idea? Like, how did you say this is something where we want to use machine learning, use AI? So we were talking to a research agency, a research institute in the UK about opportunities for collaboration. They had an open day to talk about all of their technologies and the things they like to do. And at one of those open days, they were talking about a machine learning project that they'd done. And I was chatting to the head of process engineering at one of the coffee breaks and they said, oh, yeah, actually, I'd love to be able to do this for product design. A little bit like the question you asked at the start, could we design our products using machine learning? And we had a kind of, we went off on a, a bit of a tangent about how we might be able to do that and the project that we might want to do. And in the end, we decided it probably wasn't sensible to try and do a project like that because we didn't have the data and the systems that we needed. Then a couple of months later, he rang me back and said, oh, you know, we talked about machine learning for these kind of things. I've got a project I'm trying to set up with a Canadian partner who specialized in machine learning for blending. And what they're doing is they're using their machine learning systems to create 
blends of ores from mining in real time. So that you could potentially apply that to what you're doing in the powder factory. Like, would you like to talk about that? So yeah, sure, we can do that. It'd be great to talk about that. So the three of us got together. It seemed actually the four of us, because there was a machine manufacturer as well that was going to help us on the blending side. And then we said, okay, are we able to build a project? Which means that we could tangibly test whether we could use machine learning to do these things in, in our powder factory. And they said, yeah. So we set it up, we applied for a government grant and we got started. But I think that's very holistic. What, what I've seen is it's good to dream, but what is AI? What is it in my context? And to get a good grasp on that is indeed to see, and here it's perfect cross-learning. AI has the flexibility to adjust and you can start small to get acquainted with it, to see how does it work? What's necessary? What are the pitfalls? So perhaps that's something you can zoom in on. Like, what did you then see as the process to start with it? What were the hurdles? How did you experience it? Ooh, yeah, it was quite intense. So I think we were all a little bit naive about how simple it might be at the start. I think the Canadian team that we're working with, we're used to working with companies that had lots of very objective data and that was readily accessible. So the kind of things that we were talking about for Buckingham, we didn't have lots of data on because we one of the first hurdles that we had was well, they said, okay, what we want to do is optimize product quality. The measure of product quality is that the blend is perfectly blended, which means that all the different bits are pulled together in the right proportions to work. How do you measure that? That's a really great question. Like today we measure it with a few chemical parameters that we can just check that are markers really more than an indication that the blend is perfectly in the right proportions. So we had quite a lot of debate, both internally and with the partner, about the right way to define whether we'd succeeded or not. And that took a lot longer than we expected. And then we had some challenges around actually generating data and being able to use it objectively, how we were going to do it and the right ways to do it. Kratos as a business, as it invests very strongly into innovation, we have intellectual property, let's say rules, which are quite strict as well so then what we needed to do was open up our data systems to this external partner which is a bit scary for Protoss. So we had a lot of discussion about the right way to do that and how we could do it and then i started to like really collect the data and it evolved i think from the original idea which was let's use the data we've got we'll run a kind of more typical machine learning project it evolved into one where we really got into a, kind of a deep yeah, discussion and project about what it is to do great powder blending which was fascinating but it's not what we expected at the start and then how to open up our data systems. And in the end, we were using elements of machine learning to do what we did and elements of kind of statistical analysis, but not a typical machine learning project at all. But it did give us a flavor of what machine learning could do. So it could have opened up our minds to other projects that we might be able to do. And it helped us to understand what it looks like to do a great machine learning project, even if we weren't able to do it that time around. Yeah, and it's not as easy as one might think. Some companies, they showcase it like it's one, two, three, and you can start. But then indeed, if you start and you don't have the right data to train the model, there, then you already hit a wall. How did you tackle the limited data? What was um, the solution there? Because you need actual production data and you want to start. Yeah. So in the end, we did quite a lot of analytical work. We decided to take what I'd call an agnostic approach to the powder ingredients. So traditionally. Kratos had worked on a principle where if we're making cake mixes, we blend like this. If we're making dough conditioners for bread, we process them this way. 
and we said okay we're going to work just based on the physical properties of each ingredient in each blend so we did some simple analytical work with the research partner to understand which were the most important variables so then we did some principal components analysis to really pick the right things and then when we found the most important variables we just generated the data so we went and we did quite a lot of analytical work partly automated in line and partly uh, manual to generate a data set that we could use to do the first set of experiments and then also part of the project was connecting our OEE overall equipment efficiency systems into the models so we could start to build up more data for the future. So indeed it's <clears throat> this illustrates also the importance here I believe of having a good external partner. They need to understand their domain correctly but also on your end you will need somebody who understands your product or your service or whatever domain you're looking in at. They need to yeah. understand that perfectly and they need to get aligned on a very deep level because yeah. there's a reason why they call it deep learning. Yeah, and I think we found that there's a role for somebody who has a little bit of both understanding. So we, we definitely had a couple of people in Paratos who were interested in machine learning, they're interested in IT, and they didn't really perfectly understand powder blending or perfectly understand machine learning, a deep learning application, but enough to be able to translate. And then we got those people involved in the project so they could help to translate what we were saying about powder to what the machine learning team was saying about statistics. And in the end, we found a kind of some common ground, some common language we could use to move forward. And about moving forward. So you have indeed the project, you do it locally because obviously you have one research institute where you want to experiment with it. How do you then scale up? at other factories? Is it copy-paste or how did you experience that part? Yeah, to some extent. So what we did with this project is because it had a potential international element to it and we were using our IT infrastructure, when we had a good grasp of what the project was going to look like, we reached out to the team and group. So we have a data team that are based in Brussels in our head office and process engineering teams that are based in Brussels. And we reached out to them and said, hey, we're trying to do this. Well, what we would do is love some input on it so that if we're running this project now, you can scale it. What does that look like? What are the barriers that we're going to find locally you need to work on if we want to scale that internationally? So then we got them involved quite early on um, to say, okay, if we wanted to branch and replicate, where are the other factory sites it might be useful to replicate? What are the kind of data systems that we might need? What are the gaps in knowledge we have on those and what can we share? And we started to build a small community of people, about three people spread across the world to say, okay, how could we roll this out? And do we want to roll it out? Is it still useful? Is it a benefit to crowd? So we put a little kind of a community of practice. Getting people on the same idea. If you want to scale something, there is also some culture adjustment. I think that's a bit what you're also referring to. There's ROI on one side, but also cultural adjustment to be done. Perhaps earlier you also mentioned it, eh? opening up your data. Data has to go to mostly the cloud, most of the times, because first of all, if you want to roll out internationally, it's going to go, yeah, not by a physical way, but by yeah. a digital way, which is usually by cloud nowadays. A lot of companies, especially when talking indeed their own home invested or homemade innovations, it's yeah. very sensitive. How was that for Piratos? That yeah. I, must have been very challenging. Oh, that was tricky. I think we're lucky that we have a very good kind of legal and intellectual property team. And from the beginning, we 
sat down in a very open way with all the partners and said, okay, in this project, we're going to generate intellectual property. But some of it is useful for Piratos, some of it isn't useful for Piratos, you know, because we're not machine learning experts, but we are interested in the formulation side and how we optimize the process conditions for ourselves. How do we go about understanding what brings the most value to each partner and how can we share that intellectual property? So we set up what we call a collaboration agreement, which is between the four parties, we're going to generate a certain amount of intellectual property owns this little bit because it's coming from our own information and we're doing the work. The other partner owns this bit, but we have exclusive rights to use it for, let's say, maybe three years. So we set up a kind yeah. of legal definition to say, okay, that's our way of working. That seemed to work well. Yeah, that's really important. And I think it's also important to do it as of the start of the project, yeah. because yeah, there's going to be some things that company A feels different about. And if you're down the road, it might yeah. be too late. <laughs> These are the things that can really cause big problems if you don't do them early enough. And I think, again, also a reason why to have somebody experienced in it, if I can share it proactively, you don't know what the roadmap is looking like up front. You've never done it. Perhaps afterwards you will feel you will feel more acquainted with these elements, but it's a whole new domain. And so what's fair. And I think that's reflected also on the EU level. If AI generates data, but the AI was trained with your data, with your yeah. information, but the algorithm is somebody else's, then the whole discussion starts like who owns it? How do you yeah. pay people or not? Do you have to? So that's I think one big element showcasing people in real life nowadays, the complexity of the matter at hand. So we were quite upfront with all the partners from the beginning and the AI team had this specialization in mining. So they've been working with mining companies for a long time doing this. So they were very well established, but they saw an opportunity in food, but they weren't sure how to get into food. So there was a real reciprocal benefit for everybody in that. And the process engineering team we were working with had an interest in building partnerships with somebody like Piratos at a global scale as well. So there's a long-term investment because if you can build a strong process engineering partnership with a company like Piratos, that can have long-term benefits from a commercial perspective as well. So we were quite frank about all of that from the beginning, and I think that helped. Yeah, and so the investment, there has to be ROI for the company who you're working with. It's clear they have a strategic partnership with Piratos outside of the mining, inside of the food, which is a whole vertical for them, I imagine. So for them, the yeah, the strategic ROI is clear. How at Piratos is that being measured or how do you experience ROI of deep learning? It's a tricky one to measure sometimes. I think we would say there's probably like short, medium and long-term benefits so in this process optimization project, mixing optimization project we did in our powder factory, we improved the right first time on our powder line. So that means it's better product quality for our customers, which is ultimately what we wanted to do. There was a side benefit in terms of energy saving as well, because by optimizing the way that we mixed, we we're able to be much more precise in our blend parameters. So let's say where we might have mixed for 10 minutes before, we're able to say, well, maybe it's six but also it could be six minutes and 20 seconds. So we can be very precise about how we do it. So in the first 12 months of the project, we save about, I think it's about 20,000 euros of just electricity savings, which is a significant saving for us in the way that we run our plants. And then we believe in these kind of systems for the future. So especially we invest a lot in people in technical roles. And what we want is for those people to be adding the most value possible. 
So if we can automate the boring data bits and pieces, it frees up opportunities for people to create customer relationships, to be doing more exciting projects, to really use their capabilities to push things forward. So there's also Protoss had a mid to long term perspective to say, we believe in these technologies, so we have to invest at some point to see how we can use them because they're going to happen anyway. So if we can find a couple of projects to let us do them in a safe way, it means that we can understand how best to integrate them into our ways of working. You mentioned quite a few examples of how it has been a benefit using AI deep learning. Were those benefits or advantages that you were aware of, had hoped for before, or were there also surprises there? Yeah, there were definitely things we were hoping for. I think we did have some, so we're definitely hoping that we would improve the product quality because that was our ultimate aim and we were happy to achieve that. We weren't expecting such a significant reduction in the process times and the level of precision that we could get in our process parameters. That was a great surprise because we were expecting a potential reduction. We had a feeling that the mixing time was possibly over mixing and that's why we we're creating some problems, but we didn't realize how much room we had to really push that. And we were at the very top end of what is necessary and we could definitely have some room to even move it much more towards the optimum center and then i think we learned some fundamental things about our own ingredients and ways of working that we just hadn't realized this kind of very what seemed like a simple question about how do we know when a mix is mixed actually helped us to really ask some deep questions and have some very quite challenging conversations with ourselves about how we had assumed that we knew some things in the past but we possibly didn't know and also our our kind of our legacy way of talking about products and how we process them, whether it's a cake preparation or a bread improver, doesn't really bear any resemblance to the ingredients that we're using to design those things. So we had to reset our thinking. We also learned an important element about our mixers. So traditionally we had done all of our batching based on mass. So we said, oh, a customer wants to buy a thousand kilos of something. So we put it on a thousand kilo pallet. So we'll put a thousand kilos into the mixer, but the mixing that we're doing is very volumetric based. And we found that the fill level, is it 70% full, 80% full, 90% full of the mixer from a volume base rather than a kilo base had a huge impact on the quality of our mixing. So that was a really fascinating insight for us. I think we knew, but we hadn't really integrated into the way that we worked before. Guess the saying expect the unexpected is quite on point here. Yeah. And I believe, honestly, when talking to people who work with AI, these type of stories are my favorites. Because you aim for a goal. Hey, I want to use AI to take away the boring work, the work that nobody really wants to do. But then in the end, you will find indeed side effects or however you want to call them, like secondary effects that yeah. you weren't particularly aiming for, but gained in the end, in the long run, in the end game. And that's basically my favorite one, yeah. I'd say. Maybe looking into the future, I hear a lot of positive stories. How do you see the roadmap for Piratos machine learning industry? How do you see that for the coming, let's say, five, 10 year time window? Yeah, I think there's really significant potential for machine learning in and deep learning in Piratos. I think the easy, the low hanging fruit, is what we call it, like the easy projects are definitely going to be in process automation and possibly some logistics side. We've got very complicated supply chains of ingredients coming in from all over the world, dispatching to customers all over the country. So I think there's huge opportunities to do some work on that. And in those areas, we have very good data. So in our manufacturing centers, we've had very good kind of sensor connectivity and data for to understand efficiency for a long time. So we've got 
five years worth of data that we can start to go and look at, which is to a high level of precision. So I think there's great opportunities there. And what we're trying to do now is put in the data infrastructure to have that all pulled in one place. So we're building centralized data lakes and access to those things so we can start to really do go much deeper. And in the recent projects we've started looking at, we are building in feedback systems. So operator input into those systems so that the system can properly learn. So rather than just build a static model, we're looking at digital twins and then also operator-led feedback. So we can start to optimize those models in almost in real time. So I think there's going to be huge potential. If I hear it, the results you've received from implementing it in an environment or in a solution where you have limited data and had to generate it and find ways to have the model working, then it's going to be super exciting to indeed see where it leads to when you have good, accurate data. That's the number one rule. How good is your data? How much data do you have? And then indeed, if you have operators feedback involved, because as you say, it's not static. Yeah. You're working with natural ingredients. We have a dry summer, we have a wet winter, then the way around, we have a wet summer, a dry winter, yeah. etc. That's very impactful on your domain. Yeah, so definitely. that being said, not only the feedback, but also the flexibility of the AI, I think provide a lot of value there. Yeah, definitely. And I think what we see is our responsiveness to our customers is something which is very fundamental to the success of our business now. I think all of us are used to Amazon Prime models now. So if I want something, I can go and buy it on Amazon. I can get it delivered the same day or tomorrow. And I think as consumers, we're all also customers. So our customers have that Amazon Prime mindset as well. And Kratos is looking for ways to help to meet those expectations because as businesses, we also have those expectations now, but we're working with very complex supply chains. And we have got highly skilled, highly trained people that are great at that. If we could use machine learning tools to really help them to optimize those flows, to manage more variables, to, to respond to customer demand. Because we see silly things in the UK, for example, if we have a really great weekend of hot weather, then everybody wants to get their barbecue out in the UK because the weather's a bit variable in the UK. And then everybody goes to the supermarket to buy burger buns. So our customers that are making burger buns suddenly have to run 24-7 burger buns. So how do we help them do that? Well, those are the things we're thinking about for the future. Exactly. And if you have the models predicting a hot summer or yeah. whatever not, and you look at the statistics, you look at weather information, then you can be X percent certain that you will need to increase or decrease certain productions. So yeah. It sounds a little bit also, I don't know if you've heard of it, Google has released it. The name is escaping me, Google Flood or something. Okay. In Belgium, actually helping to prevent or warn people when rivers are about to flood. Oh. So they also use data from weather, etc., etc., to indeed warn cities, watch out. This might become a problem in the short term. And I believe this same sort of approach, machine learning, might be super valuable to you. Not the flooding, of course, but the weather. Yeah. Which indeed then translates to people going for more burgers or a call, whatever not. Yeah. Um, so and we're starting to have discussions like that to build these, I suppose, what you might call a data universe or something. That's not the right term for it. But today we've got Kratos' data and we're working hard to put our, all of our own data in a format where it can be standardized and used to really build complex models. But also then how could that work if we took in external data? So the weather could be a really interesting factor. 
but also we've got ingredient suppliers who are managing things to a high level of precision. Could we get their data? We've got customers who've got high levels of automation in their factories. Could we connect their data? And are we able to build these kind of data infrastructures where we can understand the influence of the weather that's happened to the ingredient to our processing plant and then what it does to our customers manufacturing plant because we've got this kind of verticality in the data is something that we'd love to build and we've had a few discussions with customers that are more advanced in this area and we'd love to build more partnerships like that and here again it becomes clear that the adoption of the technology is going to be crucial for overall quality also the impact on energy is going to be significant but everybody needs to open up their data and here comes again why adoption yeah. is important why the discussion of ip data and there's a lot of people who are yeah, very scared about it but if you look at the bigger picture and if regulatory and everything is set there's yeah. going to be some interesting developments that's right yeah. yeah i think so we're really excited about it so obviously I have been talking a lot about what it can do. How do you see the smaller companies contributing or adopting it? Because for them, is this still far away or do you see means on how they can also jump on the wagon? Yeah, that's a good question. I think my personal experience with Pratas is that you need to have good data systems. But what I think will happen, and I'm not an expert in this area, is that I think we will see development of tools which will be more plug and play for smaller customers and smaller businesses generally. So as Pratos and other companies start to build these systems, then the generalized learnings will become available in plug and play modules or tools that other customers or other businesses can use. So I think I think that's likely to happen, yeah. yeah. That's good news in the end. If you can share that with the world, then we're also feeling a social responsibility, I'd say. Yeah. Perhaps to zoom in on your career now as a slot question. So okay. throughout the career, you were, what is the, perhaps the most single, most valuable lesson you've learned? One that perhaps even goes beyond technology and innovation. Just, yeah. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. <laughs> That's a big question. I'd say like for throughout all of my career, the, the, I think the thing that has probably, I found the most important is having a very clear shared understanding or expectation of what we're trying to do whether it's in a project and we set up a project scope from the start with a customer or with a partner okay let's be really clear on the scope or working with teams and individuals to say hey this is what we're trying to do this is how we're going to tell if we've succeeded and also for that person to come to us and say i love working for Piratos. this is what i need from Piratos. like and if you can't give me that then we've got a problem like how do we work together so i think having setting those reciprocal expectations has been the thing that's really been my most important lesson like almost everything that's gone wrong that i've been involved in has been because we haven't had clear shared expectations of what success looks like so i work really hard on that now Sounds like communication is key here. It's That's the message. Key, yeah. Learn yeah, how definitely. to communicate. Definitely. That's an interesting learn I find on a personal yeah. level, very relevant as well. So yeah. I enjoyed that one. All right, James. Yeah, that's all. I okay. would like to thank you very much for the interesting podcast. No, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for inviting me, Maxime. It's a pleasure. I appreciate all you right. giving us the opportunity to talk. Okay, you take care, Maxime. Bye. Thanks. Bye. That's it, folks. Hope you liked it. If you did, follow the RoboVision page, follow my page, leave us a like, of course, or a comment. If there's anything you'd like me to talk about quality-related, leave it in the comments and we'll be for sure considering it. Take care.